the Higgledy Piggledy History Hodgepod with Alex Diamond and Dave Crowley. Hello and welcome to the Higgledy Piggledy History Hotspot, a podcast where we look back at significant events of our past and do our best not to justify atrocities because the perpetrators wore comedy clothing. <laughs> I'm Dave Rattlehead Crowley, amateur history nerd, and with me as ever is history scholar, tapestry enthusiast, and winner of the Best Spoken Brummy Award for three consecutive years, Alex Darth Diamond. <laughs> uh, hello there, Dave. How are you? I'm all right, my friend, and you? Yeah, feeling good, thanks, mate. Feeling very good. Good, good. So, uh, nice light-hearted episode tonight, looking at um, back at the gunpowder plot and asking the question, early terrorists or the last on his men to enter Parliament? So, Darth, a good place to begin with this would be explaining a little bit about why these men were so angry in the first place, I think. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, <clears throat> I think, really, to understand the gunpowder plot, you've got to look back at the at the European Reformation. I think plenty of people will be familiar with the religious reformation that took place in Europe in the 16th century. You've got Martin Luther famously pinning his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, you know, criticising the Catholic Church, I think even calling the Pope the Antichrist. It's all good stuff. Um, and, and it in does, it, it, whenever anyone mentions, whenever anyone mentions <laughs> Martin Luther and his theses, and there were, there were 95 of them, that must have took some pinning. Yeah, well, yeah, he must have had a quite a, quite a large nail. I would have thought. Also, bet, uh, why not round up to a hundred? Yeah, yeah, it's very. Five more. There's going to be five more things I could complain about here. Yeah. Well, I'm getting it all off. My chest. I don't like those hats either. By while yeah. we're at it, <laughs> England, uh, the key figure in the Reformation initially is Henry VIII, who who breaks from the Roman church because he wants a divorce and because he's looking for a male heir. And it all, you know, England has a terribly tumultuous century, really, in terms of religious change in in the, in the 16th century, um, because you get Henry, who's sort of a Catholic. He breaks from, from Rome. He doesn't like the Pope because the Pope won't give him a divorce, but he's still basically a Catholic. Then his son, Edward VI, goes for more Protestantism, more reform, then he dies young. It goes to Mary Tudor, Bloody Mary. She goes back to Catholicism for a few years. Then she dies after a short reign and we get Elizabeth, who then goes back to Protestantism. So it's all higgledy-piggledy. We're right on brand. <laughs> so uh, so let's think about how we get to you know th- th- these guys in the gunpowder plot, right? So we have Elizabeth, Elizabeth's reign. She, she reigns for a long time. She's a Protestant ruler. But she, she tries to heal the divide, if you like. Uh, between the Catholics and the Protestants and tries to form a sort of middle way church a little bit, you know, where um, she is Protestant for sure. And and there is a royal supremacy. She is the head of, of, of the Anglican church that, you know, they reject the Pope. But the church in many ways is, is acceptable in some forms to a, a wide range of people ranging from some Catholics who are happy to put up with it because it sort of looks like the old church uh, all the way to the to the more reformed Protestants who become known as the Puritans, very, very, very um, boring people, essentially, uh, who, who don't like anything at all. It, the, well, the, the thing I always think about with Puritans is it's wonderful... Um, um, concept that America has that the, the the pilgrims who first went there were escaping uh, persecution mm. 
And it's absolutely not the case. The case is that they wanted to spread their misery elsewhere. <laughs> they weren't they weren't being persecuted at all. They wanted to be free to just persecute everyone else. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. I mean, they the, the the Puritans were not really persecuted in any real sense in in the seventeenth century when they did go off to 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 America. Um, yeah, but um, I should say that while while we have what's called the religious settlement under Elizabeth. It doesn't really settle anything because it kicks the can down the road. And so you've still got these tensions boiling under the surface surface from Catholics, also from the other end of the spectrum, from Puritans. So so really the the, the Tudor Reformation doesn't solve the problem. And it and all these problems come up in the Stuart uh, um, period, famously with the Civil War, which you can characterize, I think, as a, as a religious conflict in, in some regards. Um, but also even earlier, as we'll see, when Elizabeth's cousin, uh, King James of Scotland, inherits the English throne in 1603, who's a, who's a Protestant, uh, raised in, in the Calvinist tradition, he he comes into this world, you know, into England, which for the past half over half century doesn't really know what it believes anymore. And the people are sort of Protestant, but there are still lots of Catholics and there are still some people who are like, are we actually Protestant? Because this church looks Catholic. And so, you know, it, it's a real mess. And while things have been nominally settled, they really haven't in, in any sense of the word. Um, but but I, I realise I haven't actually answered your question. What, what, are, what are the grievances for these guys? Uh, they're, all Catholic, they're all Catholic. Uh, th- th- this is a Catholic conspiracy um, against James, who is a Protestant. And of course, the grievance is that, you know, really, for, for, for most of the past 50 years, Catholics have been p- persecuted in England, aside from the, the short reign of Mary Tudor in, in the 1550s. Uh, you know, England has been Protestant and Catholics are persecuted. They, they are not rounded up and you know, executed. So, in... so we're not we're not talking about uh, the Spanish uh, equivalent of burning people at the stake. No, no, uh, that's no. right. Um, uh, it, uh, they they don't burn people at the stake. Uh, however, they do execute some Catholics, and and the reason they execute them is is on a charge of treason. And see, so Bloody Mary's Bloody Mary because she burned lots of heretics, and they were the Protestants under her regime. Elizabeth didn't kill people. Didn't, didn't kill Catholics for being heretics, in which case they would have been burnt. She executes them uh, by hanging or by cutting off their heads if they're nobility for treason. Because to be a Catholic in Protestant England at the end of the 16th century and the beginning of the um, 17th is to to be allegiant to the Pope, not to, not to the monarchy. So we've got this... Uh, uh, what initially starts off with, with a small group who then... Um decide to start recruiting in order to uh, to enable their plot against yeah. uh, James and uh, his government. Yeah, that's right. So as I said, James becomes king and uh, quite a few Catholics are fairly hopeful, actually, because uh, he's he's expressed uh, desires to be fairly moderate and fairly tolerant. These hopes are sort of crushed, not least because a couple of plots actually happen in the very same year that he becomes king in England in 1603. And so any hopes for a sort of complete end to Catholic persecution were, were going to be disappointed. And, and I think these guys who who come together to plot the to plot the gunpowder conspiracy, that they decide James is a wrong gun and he's not going to do any good for Catholics. And um, I suppose we should talk about the first guy, really, the, the, the ringleader of this of this plot 
is a Catholic gentleman from Warwickshire, a Midlands man. Good lad. Uh, yeah, he's educated at Oxford as well, hurrah. Although he did, oh, hey. he did drop out, apparently. Can't have him. And his name is uh, Robert Catesby. Yeah, you, you, you do have to wonder whether, whether uh, Catesby is uh, spinning in his grave every November the 5th. As, oh, I bloody started all this, and it's bloody folks. <laughs> who everyone credit, remembers. Yeah. It's all the bloody glory. <laughs> they make masks to him. Everything. What do I get? Bugger all. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, he is the ringleader, he, but he's the organiser. Forks, in a way, is the sort of crazy one of the group where they all sat down and said, we're looking for someone to sit overnight with, you know, 35 barrels, 36 barrels of gunpowder underneath <laughs> Parliament. And Forks goes, yeah, I'll do that. You know? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> and they no all say, brilliant, too, yeah. yeah. So yeah, now, that's right. Folks, no smoking, mate. Oh, well, you know, I'll be, I'll be kept. No, no smoking. But they've just got this tobacco from. Yeah, it's brilliant. This new stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, um, so Catesby is the ringleader. He's he's the chief organizer, and he first recruits a small group. He he goes to his cousin. Uh, he's got a cousin a uh, cousin in Yorkshire called uh, Thomas Winter, who's a very bright man, uh, multilinguist, a scholar. He actually trained as a lawyer, but spent much of his life up to now um, as a soldier fighting for the English, for, for Protestant England England against Catholic Spain. However, but a couple of years before the gunpowder plot, but by the turn of the century, he had actually converted to Catholicism. And, and you know, you know what they say about the, the zeal of the convert. Yes. Uh, I yeah. think this fits to, uh, Thomas Winter fairly well. And so um, Catsby... Uh, Winter and another chap called John Wright. These are the first three that meet um, together in early 1604. So in the year before uh, the the plot was due to take place, they meet in early in early 1604 in in Lambeth in London on the South Bank, where they first discuss this plot and and they and they discuss a plot to blow up the House of Lords at the state opening of Parliament. No, okay, and it's at this point that um, Winter travels abroad seeking support and stumbles across Mister Forks. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This is when Forks comes in. So they have the plan. It's quite ambitious to say the least. Um, and they they want to seek foreign support, and and uh, there's only one place to go for that, and it's Spain. Uh, luckily, Spain is ruling um, what's known as the the Spanish Netherlands. They're in a bit of a civil war because. The Dutch, the, the local Dutch, some of whom are Protestant, are revolting against Spanish rule. And there's a big war that goes on in the background uh, known as the Dutch Revolt. But there are still Spanish Catholics operating there. And so uh, Wintour crosses the channel to nearby Flanders and he meets up and um, with with Guy Fawkes, who, whom he recruits for the plot. Now, Fawkes has a reputation as a sort of brave and reckless soldier. And he'd become, uh, I think it's fair to say, radicalised, really. He, he had actually fought, um, I said that Win- Winter had fought with the English against the Spanish. Forks had fought with the Spanish against the Dutch Protestants. He had volunteered from England to go and fight with the Spanish Catholics. And I think there he had really found a, and become a very impassioned Catholic and a defender of that faith. And a heavy smoker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, you know, w- Winter doesn't get, the Spanish support that he desires because the Spanish are a bit like, you want to do what? <laughs> <laughs> you mental. <Yeah. laughs> 
uh, yeah, even that's a bit big for us, mate. We did the Armada a few years ago. That didn't go down well. Yeah, that did. That did. That, yeah, the last time we got involved in in, yeah. in English politics, it didn't end well for us. So some bloke yeah. was playing bowls, and then it all went tits up right after that. So now we'll pass, thanks. But there's that nutter in the corner over there, chain smoking. <laughs> he, he might well be up for it. And indeed, he was. Yeah, and so they yeah. they, they they go back to England. He says, "Yes, that all sounds completely fine." They, they returned to England um, in the spring of 1604. And soon after that, uh, Catesby's friend, and who is also John Wright's brother-in-law, a guy called Thomas Percy, also joins the plot. Now, Percy, these guys are all sort of gentleman types. Um, I mean, Fawkes, probably less so, but certainly Catesby and, and his cousins and his mates. and all, they're, they're, ma- they're not, you know, major aristocracy, but equally they're not paupers and peasants. They're, they're sort of local figures, um, in the provinces and known as gentry and Percy's got connections he's a kin he's a kinsman of the Earl of Northumberland who is a Catholic sympathizer I think he's nominally Protestant but possibly you know Catholic in terms of where his heart leans and um, Percy actually gets a job he's appointed by his kinsman the Earl of Northumberland as one of the king's bodyguards um, funnily enough, to to the corps of gentlemen at arms, a troop of about 50 bodyguards to the king. And this gives Percy a, a legitimate reason to rent a property in Westminster. What happens is they, they, they get this property very close to Westminster and Guy Fawkes uh, takes charge of the building, po- posing as Percy's servant. And he uses the pseudonym, which I like to think he... he yeah, I love this. This is great. This he, is, yeah. Very clever pseudonym, John Johnson. It's like, it's like, it's like a comedy film, isn't it? <laughs> What's your name, son? Uh, John, John what? John Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Is that really the best you could come up with? I mean, it's like the, sort of the, the least inconspicuous <laughs> pseudonym cover name ever, isn't it? Oh, it's remarkable. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, that seemed that all seemed fine with the people down in Westminster. And what they do is, so Catsby's got his own house in Lambeth, right, just across the river. And so as not to arouse too much suspicion, just like the John Johnson name, they (laughs) they gather the gunpowder illegally, um, and they store it in Catsby's house in Lambeth. And each night they row a bit of it over the river, across you know the Thames, into the Westminster property, bit by bit, bit by bit. Yeah, I mean you know they they eventually stock up thirty six barrels, and these are big barrels. You know they can't do it all in one night, so it's probably several nights, possibly even several weeks. They're doing this during the night, and no one seems to ask questions. I mean, it's not that they were unseen, you know. They would have they would have had to been been moving these and someone would have seen them, but it probably was just like, oh, that's you know normal stuff like it could be supplies, it could be food, it could be could be firewood for for for, for the winter, you know anything yeah, uh, should we move on to the undercroft, which is just a wonderful word, yeah, the undercroft, of course we can, yeah, so <laughs> I mean um th- there's a few. Uh, a few other people do join the group. I mean, in total, there's about a dozen of them. We don't have time to talk about them all. Um, you know, so far, we've only mentioned uh, four or five of them. Um, we do get some more. And about a year later, so we're talking by the 25th of March, 1605, they they managed to uh, secure a rent 
on an undercroft uh, of a property owned by a chap called John Winyard, very, very close to the House of Lords. In fact, it was at a right angle to the Lords. And the undercroft itself, in you know, the, the, basically the, the, the basement of this property, actually went underneath the House of Lords. It was directly well, beneath the Lords. Well, what actually constitutes an undercroft? Because, again, I mean, it, uh, I've heard the word in Frasier and Blackout. <laughs> And nowhere else. Yeah, I, you're, you make a good point. Um, I always just think of it as like a fancy basement with nice arches and uh, pillars. You know, you know. Think about like have you ever been to any uh, monastic ruins? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the, the famous one is uh, Fountains Abbey, where they do it on the History Boys. Yeah. And they go under that scene, don't they? And he's talking about what the monks do, and and they walk through that sort of basement and. You know, they're they're used as storerooms, really. So it's basically a basement with O levels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and so they 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 decide. Well, this is brilliant. This is clearly divine providence here. Uh, we'll store the gunpowder in this undercroft, which was not being used. And Winyard was like, "Yeah, whatever, just use it. You know, as long as you're paying me." He didn't suspect anything. And they they, they put all this gunpowder underneath there. And, and it's quite a good cover because you can just say, oh, we're just storing this, you know, this is supplies, food, whatever, for later. The, the Undercroft is a major step forward for this plot, really. Uh, if they didn't have that, it's possible that, that they may have had to tunnel their way underneath Parliament. Now, the, the, there are stories that they actually tried to do this, but it may have been a fabrication uh, by the government when they actually rounded up these guys, they wanted to present the plot as even more, uh, you know, seditious and salacious. And they went to these terrible lengths. They even dug under Parliament. And it probably helps them explain away the fact that why didn't you notice 36 barrels of gunpowder, you know, going under this undercroft, uh, sometimes perhaps in broad daylight? And they said, oh, well, they tunneled under. And that's why we didn't know. But we have to be careful about that because we're not sure. Why did you, you know, not suspect that John Johnson wasn't all he appeared to be? <laughs> yeah, he seemed like a stand-up guy. I mean, <laughs> he was all right. I mean, you know, smoked a lot, had that strange sort of pseudo-Spanish accent, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it all checked out. You know, happy days. So at this point, they've got the gunpowder in. Um, there's been a little bit more recruitment. Yes. Actually, and... I should say, sorry, go on, if you, unless you were going to... No, go on, go on. The, the, uh, the one other person that we really need to talk about who is recruited in, in mid-October now, so we're very close to when Parliament is going gonna, is gonna to open. Uh, in mid-October of 1605, we get uh, a notable recruit called Francis Tresham. He's, he's from Northamptonshire, he's a gentleman, and he, he's recently come into a bit of money. And and he's Catsby's uh, cousin. Now Catsby recruits him largely, I think, for the money, and says, "Look, we need we need some cash to fund this operation, and we also want to use your manor house in Northamptonshire." And Tresh- Tresham says no to both of these things, uh, but seemingly lets himself get involved. And he he's very unsure about this plot, <clears throat> I think, from the beginning, and he raises the issue, and probably wasn't the only one of what about all the Catholic peers who are going to be in Parliament, you know, the, the, the Catholic lords, whether they be open Catholics or whether they be um, hiding it, what happens to them? Because they're going to die. You know, the, the, this gunpowder does not discriminate. 
And the KHP turns around and says, we're going to bomb the mosque, yeah. radicalise the moderates. Well, uh, <laughs> we, could, we should return to that point, actually, because that's a good one uh, to, to think uh-huh. about. But it's, yeah, he raises this point, and particularly for him, it's a personal issue because he has got two brothers-in-law in the Lords who, who are going to be killed if they go through with this. Now, Catesby says, they're all martyrs, mate, you know, no worries. Like, it's a sacrificial loss for the greater good. God will understand. But Tresham doesn't like this at all. Catesby's taking a hell of a risk approaching him in the first place, really, then. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, uh, They must have been desperate for the cash. I mean, they are a close-knit group, and it's remarkable how they're all cousins and brothers-in-laws. But, yes, I mean, Catesby must have known that he had relatives, admittedly only by law, but still, um, in in the Lords. And yet and yet he tries to bring him in. Now what happens here is really is really key. Um because it, 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 but basically it's it, it's heavily suspected. We don't know for sure, but historians I think are broadly in agreement that Tresham is the one who reveals the plot to one of his brothers-in-law, a guy called Lord Monteagle. And now we should we should say before we step into that, we should say that because we're we're talking now about being sort of you know within a couple of weeks of the actual planned. That's right. Yeah, um, ten days, explosion. ten days away, twenty sixth of October. Yeah, and and as if it's not enough that the these twelve raggle taggle band uh, are going to try and blow up Parliament, they've also decided that they're going to simultaneously kidnap the king's daughter. Oh yeah, so that that's the that's the second part of the plot, which uh, which we can talk about now. Yeah, so they had finalised the details right in October, and, and it was simply this: Forks would light the fuse, so all all, all the barrels are now nicely stacked underneath the House of Lords. Uh, Forks would light the fuse, uh, giving him time to get out of there. You know, I don't think it's a suicide bombing. Uh, and I, I hope, you know, he, he certainly hopes it won't be, I think. Um, and, <laughs> really, he's, he's not aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll be all right, folks. Just light that fuse and it'll give you, you know, a good minute or so to get out. So he lights the fuse. He then he then escapes, rows across the Thames. He's going to head off to the continent to recruit foreign Catholic intervention. Now, you may think, well, they tried that. It didn't work. But, of course, when Spain and the other Catholic powers hear that this plan has gone ahead they might be much more inclined to get involved now that the Protestant establishment has been wiped out. So, fair enough. Simultaneously, as you said, the, the most of the rest of them, Catesby predominantly, will go back to their estates in the Midlands, where most of them are from, and they will um, incite a local revolt, a local Catholic revolt in the Midlands that would capture King James's daughter, Princess Elizabeth, who's only nine or ten, who is living um, in an abbey near Coventry. Those are the final details of the plan. But it all goes terribly wrong for these guys when uh, Lord Monteagle, Tresham's brother-in-law, about 10 days before, receives an anonymous letter with a with a veiled warning which says, stay away from Parliament. And, and I can quote you from the letter. It says, they, basically the parliamentarians, they shall receive a terrible blow, this Parliament, and yet they shall not see who hurts them. Okay, not not the greatest cryptic message. No, in history, no. Really. 
So, okay. <laughs> figure that out, Monteagle. So, so Monteagle fails to figure it out and, <laughs> and rides immediately for Whitehall, um, where, where the executive government is, and, and says to Robert Cecil, who is essentially the, the prime minister at the time, there was no such office, but he was the chief minister of the king who basically ran the day-to-day government. He's the Earl of Salisbury. Um, and he says to Robert Cecil, I've just received this letter. What on earth is this about? And Cecil tells the Privy Council. And it's possible Cecil was a bit of a, you know, whiz. It's possible that he was aware of something. You know, he wasn't quite sure what. But he, was... but he figured that it might have something to do with that John Johnson oh, character yes. who's been hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen a lot of him recently in Westminster. <laughs> I don't like the cut of his jib. <laughs> but yeah, so he, it's possible that he's aware. Um, there are some ludicrous theories. I mean, talking about, you know, uh, uh, Barry bombing the mosque. There are some theories that this is a com- this is a false flag operation organised completely by Cecil, right, who is, a, who is a Protestant minister. And so he sets up these Catholics uh, to plot that's always going to fail in order to bring in anti-Catholic legislation. Oh. But we can return to that. I, I think it's rubbish, but it's possible that he knew something was up. And when he got this letter, he thought, okay, there is actually something up. If you think it's rubbish, that's good enough for me. <laughs> oh, that's very Crack kind on. of you, mate. <laughs> I'll leave it to the others to write in and say, well, actually, uh, Cecil was aware uh, three weeks before. <laughs> I, if people are going to write in to complain about anything from this episode, I really think that's the least of their concerns. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Cecil doesn't tell the king straight away. He was the king is apparently away hunting. Now, if he had gone hunting in the New Forest, these Catholics might not have had a job on their hands because as instead of just bought a horse with with terrible intestinal <laughs> yeah. problems, they could have solved all of this. I wouldn't have to bother with any of it. I, know. I like to think that safety, you know, procedures had improved slightly since the 11th century in terms of going hunting, but who knows. Um, and if you don't understand that reference, then it's your own bloody fault because you didn't listen to episode one. Here, here, go away and do that. <laughs> yeah, the the government now have this letter. They know that something is going on, and they and they know that it's going to go on when the, when there's the state opening of parliament. Um, and Tresham is actually uh, held up against the wall because one of Monteagle's servants had family connections with some of the members in the plot. He said he then sent a message to Catesby saying you've been betrayed. You know the game's up, and uh, reveals the contents. And so Winter and Catesby obviously conclude, well, it must have been Tresham because that's his brother-in-law. Uh, Absolutely, Tresham manages to explain it away and says, "Look, you know, it wasn't me. It wasn't me." Like, <laughs> the hell! Yeah, I, <laughs> the hell! Did he manage? How dumb are these people that like he can explain away that it was his brother-in-law who received this, and he was the only bugger who knew about it outside of their little circle. Yeah, and, he, and yet they're like, "Did you send that letter? No. Oh, all right, fair enough. enough then. Yeah, where were you? I believe you got. Um, I was at a Pizza yeah. Express in Woking with 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 Fred Fredson. You know the fella." <laughs> Shifty looking bugger, but he's all right. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. Then, uh, yeah, okay, uh, yeah. It, it does strike me as very odd that, that that they confront him and he says no, and they're like, oh, all right. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's it, remarkable, really, how he gets away with it. And of course, we don't know. You know, I cannot say for sure that Tresh he could have been telling the truth, 
but they suspected him, and I think historians do as well. Um, but but he managed. If, if he did send it, you know, he managed to get away with it at least for now. Fair play. Um, and so uh, eventually, the king is shown the letter um, after he returns to London on the first of November, and he he actually apparently himself suspects that it's going to be a, some sort of explosive gunpowder situation. His dad had actually been killed. Yeah, so yeah, he had previous with That's this, right. Yeah, his dad had been killed when he was just a when he was just a baby um, by gunpowder explosion, I think. But these guys, they didn't have any other choice now. Even though they knew some word had got out, they they continued with the plan. They'd come so far. Catesby and and uh, most of the others returned to the Midlands to get ready to to you know incite this revolt. And Fawkes um, is left in charge of the explosives on the fourth of November, which is concealed with a large pile of wood. Yeah. That, that's it, and and actually, because of because of the king's warnings, and the king says you got to search the ground, search the palace, you know, leave no stone unturned. And the Lord Chamberlain, um, and also um, Monteagle, I think, uh, go around searching, and they come across Forks under uh, in the undercroft with the barrels. But as you said, he he's carefully hidden the barrels. Behind a large pile of wood, and, <laughs> behind a large pile of flammable material, and they say, "Who are you?" And he says, "Hey, it's me, JJ." <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> you, you must know me by now. <laughs> Sorry, uh, <coughs> it's JJ. It's JJ. It, Oh, you sprung that one on me, pal. Uh, Go on, carry on. You know, like in uh, The Parole Officer, when Steve Coogan basically does the exact same thing, his character, when he's going into the strip club, and they say, who are you? He says, John. John Jones. (laughs) JJ. (laughs) I think, yeah, he must have took inspiration. So anyway, um, they they say to him, okay, fair enough, John John Johnson. Uh, What are you doing here? And he says, I'm the servant of uh, Henry Percy. And and all this wood is is fuel for the winter that I'm storing. Now, the fact that he mentions Percy's name in this instance seems to stitch him up because Monteagle knows that Percy is a bit of an agitator and a Catholic and that he didn't live in Westminster. <laughs> also, it might not have been great that he saw all these barrels of gunpowder with Acme written on the side <laughs> yeah, of them yeah. as well. oh dear but he manages to get away with it despite all this they go away (laughs) leaving him there and it's only because the king orders a second search which takes place at midnight you know this is as close to the wire as you can get really midnight on the night of the fourth going into the fifth that they search again and and they find john jones uh, uh, sorry, John Johnson. They, John they John. find Guy Fawkes down there with the gunpowder again. This time, he's booted and spurred with a hat and cloak. And they go, ah, finally, you've given yourself up. You wouldn't be a servant if you were booted and spurred with hat and cloak. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great pile of yeah. flammable material and explosives. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we're happy with that. It's fuel for the winds. But hang on a minute. You can make a quick You're... getaway. Yeah. yeah, he's dressed very suspiciously for a man of his standing. So this Jesus. time they arrest him oh. and, he, and he does indeed give his name as John Johnson. And... Um, <laughs> 
and the news gets out of his arrest and the other plotters, some of whom had stayed in London, they get the hell out of there. They scatter, they flee into the provinces and they warn Catsby along the way. Um, and again, they're desperate. They don't really know what to do. The plan has been foiled, but they still go along with the rest of their plan. They, the, they raid Warwick Castle for weapons and supplies, try to raise an army. But of course, when the first major part of the plan hasn't gone ahead it's really difficult to sell the rest of it. And so <laughs> everyone they meet in the Midlands tells them to get lost. <laughs> you can bugger off. Yeah. You can. You think I'm helping yeah. you. Even their own family, really. That you know, it, it might have worked if they said, we've just killed you know, 500 of the most important people. Now is the chance. That, that might have worked. But now it's like, actually, the plot's been discovered and the army is probably on their way. <laughs> You ready to fight? No, of course I'm bloody not. You must be out of your mind, you know. Get out of my bloody ass. You mental. I told you this was a bad idea from the start. We should have just gone to Dudley Zoo and be done with it. <laughs> well, they do go to Dudley, right? So so the, the plotters make this last stand. They finally find somewhere to go. And it, you may know this place. I don't, but it's Hull Beach House. Is that right? Yes, and, I know of it. Which yeah, yeah. was in Staffs, uh, uh, Staffordshire. But now it's it's Dudley. West Midlands. It's it's in the West Midlands County in Dudley. And um, it's the home of a guy called Stephen Littleton. And there's this weird incident where they're waiting, basically, for the the final showdown, where they spread out some of the leftover gunpowder, which has been soaked. And they have the brilliant (laughs) idea to put it in front of a fire to dry dry it out. Now... (laughs) There's no danger that it's going to blow up because, of course, it's not you know it's not trapped in the barrel. It's not physically contained. But a spark from the fire obviously lands in the pile of gunpowder, and it and it lights up, and a few of them are engulfed in the flames. <laughs> imagine trying to put themselves out. Going, I can't imagine how this happened. Really, <laughs> yeah. really <We're> so careful. <laughs> It's remarkable. Um, I think someone is blinded and, and, and people get singed, but no one dies. Um, but eventually, a couple, a couple of days later, uh, 200 troops under the command of the High Sheriff of Worcestershire find them and they and they lay siege, basically, to, to, to this manor house. Um, and several of, several of the people of the plotters are shot. Thomas Winter, the Wright brothers, uh, Catsby and Percy are actually allegedly shot by the same uh, round. Like, you know, double trouble sort of thing if you're on call. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> double kill. I thought we were going to get through a whole a whole episode without reference to Khan. Oh, but no, we're having to, No, don't be sorry. If we keep doing it, they will send. I'm convinced they're going to send Some us something. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Not much, but they're going to send us something. So that's the end of Catsby, the ringleader. He's found dead clutching a picture of the Virgin Mary. Well, that helps. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, he's on brand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, a few of them actually escape um, Hull Beach remarkably alive. Uh, well, they try to to hole up in in Hagley on the spot where Hagley Hall now is. Um, the, I think Hagley Hall, as it now stands, was built a bit later than this period that we're talking about. Yeah, but there was yeah. a manor house there uh, in Hagley Park, and um, the, a couple of them, including Robert Winter, hole up there, but they're given away apparently. Because the the manor's cook was quite alarmed by the quantity of food that was all of a sudden being consumed by just one bloke, 
But obviously, <laughs> there wasn't one bloke. There were more people staying there. And so it was the cook who alerted the authority and said, well, I haven't, you know, I don't know what's up, but I'm cooking for four people here. <laughs> and, you know, just imagine that. It's a, you know, very, very hard to reconcile the fact that you've been given up by a cook who's complaining, well, I budgeted for this month and we're, we're running out of supplies already, you know. So, I mean, when you when you read about this this stuff, I mean, I don't know whether it, it, it's uh, to do with the the time period or whether they all just were a bit thick. <laughs> but because it, when you read the actual facts behind the, the whole plot and and what they did and 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 that none of them come across as particularly bright. I think that's fair, but then it's also remarkable that they get very close to succeeding. So it's not, you know, it's almost like everyone is a bit. Yeah, dim. it's like these guys don't know what they're doing, yet they get thirty-six barrels of gunpowder under Parliament, and only a few hours before they were due to go off, are they eventually found out after a second search because he's got his boots and spurs or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it re- I, in a way, I think it's like. Uh, you know, if you, if you, many people might not have been on a plane before nine eleven, but yes. if you have, and if you have, you know, you could walk into the cockpit, you could say hello to the pilots, you could sit in the chair, you know, uh, and security at airports was not really a big thing, and so that is unimaginable today, isn't it? Yeah, and, and yeah. I wonder whether that's sort of the same thing, you know, like gunpowder under the Houses of Parliament. Oh, we don't need to worry about that, but until someone tried to do it. I think that everyone involved in the plot really goes down uh, in some way, shape or form. E- even some who are not really involved in the plot. That, that There's a Jesuit priest who was told about it during Catholic confession. And he said that I told him not to do it, you know, because this is wrong. Uh, but he's brought in as a, a, an, ex- an executed as well. Monteagle survives because he went to the authorities. You know, so when Monteagle received the letter, he goes to Cecil and says, look, there's something up. And so he, he's held up as like, look at this guy, you know, he might uh, he might have Catholic sympathies, but he's clearly but he's a, he's a lawyer. He's a, stand, he's a stand-up guy. Exactly, eh? exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so um, he's the only one. Those who don't die in, in the last stand, like uh, Catesby, uh, they end up, well, tortured, you know, Fawkes is famously tortured on the rack um, until he reveals what's going on and uh, can barely sign his, his name, of course, by the end. And, and then and then they're, they're all executed. Um, and, and it's, Fawkes... Sorry, go on. No, but Fawkes manages to uh, cheat his way out of uh, part of his punishment, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. So they're, they're sentenced to hanging, drawing and quartering, which, as m- many people will know, they hang you by your neck for a bit, but they don't kill you. They then disembowel you, cut off your testicles and you know, you know, castrate you um, and quarter you and then send your body parts to, you know, the corners of the kingdom or whatever. But, yeah, as you said, Fawkes cleverly manages to get away by jumping from the gallows once he's, once the noose is round his neck. And so he, he breaks his neck and dies more or less instantly, thus avoiding the sort of later gruesome parts of his execution. But to be fair to him, he'd had quite a bit already, I think. So let's very, very quickly return to our original question. We don't always do this specifically, but we're going to do it with this one. Yeah, fair enough. 
they were early terrorists, basically. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'd say in some respects, yes, in others, no. So they are using violence to achieve political aims, and this certainly would have been quite a terrifying event. Um, and so I think it's fair to, to say they are terrorists in that sense. Um, but of course... This was a this was a one part of the plot that they were not just killing people for the sake of creating terror. If that makes sense, they were killing these guys because they were important. The king and five you know five hundred members of the establishment to to rid themselves of these guys in order to um, make way for a Catholic uprising. They were going to march on London. They were going to capture Princess Elizabeth, set her up as a puppet queen and restore Catholicism to England. That was the eventual plan. Uh, I imagine a lot of it was half-baked, really. But that was the plan. And so, yes, it's terror, and they're using violence and bombs, you know, to to, to achieve their aims. But it it wasn't just about that. It was was one cog in, in a much bigger plan to try and restore Catholicism. you enjoyed this podcast and we would love to get your feedback if you want to say nice things or just point out all our errors then please do get in touch we are at hp history pod on twitter and facebook or you can email hp at mail.com thanks for listening